A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. I have with us today, um, and well, I was going to say a data processing expert. There's a term that we haven't used in a long, long time uh, prior to the interview. Uh, Kevin Torf, who's joining us today, and I were talking about the old terminology and probably dating both of ourselves with some of it, but he is what we call today an IT expert, been doing this for quite some time. I'll, I'll let Kevin tell more of his story, uh, but has, has, written some, uh, has written a great book on project management, among other things, um, does some consulting, all kinds of stuff, but um, top-notch IT expert joining us today. Kevin, uh, welcome. No, thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. And you did give my age away with that uh, term data processing. So I think I have to remove that going forward from my bio. Yeah, it's got to come off the bio, you know, but you know what, we're at a point now where maybe it'll maybe it'll get in, in vogue again, people will start u- using it, you know, uh, but it, br- it brought back, you know, memories of, 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 you know, the term big blue, you know, the, the big blue um, data processing centers that we used to have and punching Fortran cards. And I remember how hard it was when COBOL came out to learn the new language. So uh, all this stuff, just seeing, seeing data processing, I haven't seen that term for quite a while. It's, it's actually still a good, good, it's still got a good meaning. It's still a very academic word, and it's. I'm guessing it's got to be used in some book somewhere around. But uh, definitely, uh, the new uh, generation of uh, of children, as I call them, uh, I haven't heard the word as often as I did back. 20 years ago, as we both know, 30 years ago. Well, excellent. Well, the good news is, is, is maybe unlike some from back in the day, you didn't stay back in the day. You've evolved and grown and become a leading expert on IT and IT systems, project management, those kind of things. I mean, somebody that um, people should seek out. I mean, somebody, somebody who's really well known out there. And, um, you know, as, as always, we always want to start with a little bit of personal history, Right. You know, you have you've started a couple companies, your own your own uh, consulting firm. You've got a, a a group that you're with now. You've had this this tremendous path of success and experience, but we don't become ex- experts overnight. And there's always a great story behind it. So um, I would love it if you'd share your story with our audience. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to. Uh, I've got to start with uh, my parents. My father uh, was uh, a hard taskmaster. I didn't appreciate it at the time. Now that I look back at his passing, uh, I realized what the value and everything he taught me. And he always taught me about doing things, you know, don't talk about it. Don't tell people what you're going to do. Don't, you don't have to, you know, just demonstrate by action and uh, everything else will take care of itself. And back then at the age of 13, I was playing around with electronics who my father was, uh, was in a position to teach me. And uh, I was fortunate enough to build projects with him and do things. And that just got me interested in computers and electronics. And when I was able to start studying this at school, which it was not common back uh, some 40 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I, I had a, a class I found at some local college. And it was the, the, the EDP that you spoke of, electronic data processing. 
That was, that and was it was term. filled. <laughs> it was filled with Fortran, COBOL, and uh, uh, you know, I just started learning more and more about programming. And then uh, the first uh, microcomputer came out. Um, back in those days, it was uh, called a Sinclair and a Z80 uh, chip. People won't probably even know these names, uh, but I was able to get one. My uncle bought me one. It was like a major gift that many people couldn't even afford back then, and it oh, was yeah. uh, it was my start. Well, that was. That was prior to Bill Gates' Microsoft operating system, right? The MS-DOS operating system. Oh, that, that goes way, way back when we talk microcomputers. Oh, very much so. Yeah, no, yeah, no. This is uh, this was even before the Apple. These these were the very first uh, micro-based chipsets that didn't even have an operating system. Yeah, and that, that term microcomputer, you know, today we take it for granted, what, what sits on our backtop, but back then you had a room full of equipment to, to process information that's a fraction of what we can process today on our desktop. Oh, very much so. I mean, the earlier computer storages was a four-track uh, tape cassette. I don't know if oh, you remember yeah. the, the audio cassettes you used to listen to, but yet how you actually had to store your well, data. The first PC I ever got, you know, that I had myself that I wasn't using at a school. I remember this, this, I, I still laugh. I think about this story all the time. I remember that the option on it, the one option you can get, this is the first IBM PC was um, either a 20, well, stand, stand still, either a 20 megabyte hard drive or a 10 megabyte hard drive. And the salesperson said, go with the 20. You'll never in your lifetime ever need that much storage, but it will be good to be safe. And I think about it, I got files bigger than 20 megabytes now, right? The, you know how things have changed. Uh, and that's actually a, a, another part of my life that I don't uh, actually talk much about. But uh, when I was going through my schooling and looking to decide what I wanted to do as a, in a career, I took a job in a, in a factory where they cleaned and built hard drives. And in, back in those days, you needed these very clean rooms that were vacuum uh, sucked and you actually had to wear uh, clothing. Uh, that was appropriate so that no, you would no dust particles would come off you as we cleaned these platters of the, the of these hard drive systems. And you're right, they were these massive platters that oh, the yeah. size of an LP record, and yet we could only store about 10 megs of, of data on them. Yeah, I, I remember, wasn't the term, it was a worm, right? A, a, a write once, read many times is what they used to call it before the term hard drive even showed up. Correct. So no, sorry, correct. sorry, folks, we're reminiscing about all this old stuff, but but when you really think about the history and where where IT has come, this this is all this is this is the basis of it all. It is, and you know that you know you asked the question about how did that transform me and change me. Uh, Technology, as we both know, has changed so fast and quick, and I, I had this appetite to really try, learn, and understand, and never felt uh, I could ever get in front of it, so I was always chasing it, and i uh, very fortunate enough to be given opportunities throughout my life where I've been able to apply what I'd learned, but also have the ability to try learn new things and evolve. And it's been a great journey. Uh, the technology where we know it today and is, is, is great. It's magnificent. I actually enjoy it still. It's, uh, it's exciting. Do you, do you find you still have that appetite to learn with all the all the new stuff that's happening? You, you don't ever get tired of learning and, and learning the new stuff? 
it's getting more difficult to learn. I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to learn. I'm, my appetite's there, but I, the, it, the, it, I used to be able to grasp it a lot quicker and a lot faster. And I used to, you know, I, I'm proud of the fact that I even excelled in some ways in some areas. I will tell you, it does. It is more challenging now, and it does take me a little longer before I understand it to the full extent as I used to. Yeah, there's, there's, there's so much out there. I, I used to be the resource in the family and friends and all that stuff. I felt like I was ahead of the curve. And now I get asked a question. I was like, eh, I better look that one up. I'm not really sure how to do it. No, definitely. Well, recently I bought myself this uh, pet uh, dog, which uh, uses an Android computer built inside it. And it uses uh, PHP uh, programming. And uh, I thought I'd take this on. I'd never done this before. I was a programmer back many, many years ago. And I thought, oh, well, within a few hours, I'll be mastering this and I'll be an expert at it. And a week later, I'm still struggling to get this little robot to stand on its four paws. And uh, But eventually, I got it. It just took me a little longer than I'd, than I'd hoped. Robotic pets, where where are we going? Uh, so, you know, just to get back to your story a little bit, though, and, and maybe to, to um, satisfy some of our, our listeners, you know, you, clearly you're speaking with an accent that, that you, as you've mentioned to me in the past, you've never lost. You're originally from South Africa. So at, at this time, at this point of learning uh, from when we digressed, were you still in South Africa? And did you do your university there? Yes, I, I've spent my schooling there. I left uh, probably at about the age of 28. So I did, uh, got my first few jobs and uh, built, started my first company, Compu Video, which was a store that actually sold videos uh, when the VHS and beta formats came out, except uh, what I did was I computerized the whole inventory of the store. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to work with a very smart man who taught me how to, how to use a little bit of machine language learning programming and I built one of the first stores in South Africa that would recommend videos to you would recommend movies and uh, was fortunate enough to sell that software and really that's what started me in life and in business just realizing that uh, you know by just doing a few little things I could make a lot more money than getting my that back then ten dollars an hour at, at most yeah yeah absolutely and so where'd you go from there from there, I was fortunate enough to get involved in networking communications. I really uh, loved the idea of computers talking to computers. I uh, started a company called Netlink, which I sold to a very big electronic group in South Africa who used to make what we call network adapters. Mm-hmm. And this is really what got me going back and forwards to the United States as we were uh, improving the technology and designing and looking for new chipsets that were required before a lot of the standards that had evolved today have evolved. Uh, I was backwards and forwards to the US at least once a month from South Africa, which is quite a journey. And just I decided that when the opportunity presented itself that I'd come out to the country and spend a few years working for a company in the United States, uh, which I did do, and things didn't quite evolve the way that I'd hoped, so I was going to go back to South Africa, but I had a visa and said, you know, well, maybe let's stick out the, the remaining of the three years, and that was some 31 years ago. And here you are today, and here we are today. So, so um, Torsus, you, your first kind of personal consulting has has evolved to, to what is now uh, T2, 
the T2 group, um, if I got that title correctly. Um, when you came and you started doing kind of the more the personal consulting, were you still doing network consulting? Networking was still, again, new at that point. Most people didn't even really know the, the terminology, but they did know they wanted their computers to talk to each other. So so what was what was your work then? Well, when I realized the company that I've had come that I've had intended to 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 work with when I came uh, was no longer in business, I was you know I had to find a job, and uh, the best thing to do at that time was market and just advertise myself as somebody that was technically capable. Uh, my 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 skill set was mostly in the communication side, but I'd built a broad understanding of technology and definitely some of the early adapters, adopters at that time. Uh, and I was able to get a couple of gigs with uh, back then it were for Starwood Lodging. Was Starwood Lodging, as you know, today it was a small group of REIT hotels sure. and they went out and acquired the Sheraton and Western and there was a whole networking uh build out as they started building out their communication network to have these hotels talk to each other. And really that's how Torsa started. It was uh, myself, I needed help. I employed a few employees to bring them on to help me plan, design, implement. And one thing led to another and that company grew to, I think over a hundred engineers. Wow. I mean, that's, that's really quite a bit of growth, but again, it just doesn't happen overnight. And so the Starwood, it was, was a Starwood a, a long contract? Did that feed that growth or how did they, how did they find you? I mean, by then or back then you had to be one of the few true experts on, on networking around. Was it, was it kind of that simple? I hate to make it sound simple, but how did they find you? No, no. And I didn't have money to market or advertise. So it was a through networks and through friends. Uh, you know, the, the few people I did know, because uh, I was a foreigner in this country, so I didn't grow up with a lot of people or went or go to school with anybody. But I did have some acquaintances and uh, I would, you know, let them know what my ability was. And one relationship led to another relationship, which uh, it led me to an introduction into Starwood back then. And I was fortunate enough to to convince them that uh, there's something I might be able to do to help them through some of their efforts. And, uh, you know, we all, I always have strived to do a good job or whatever I've done. So I was able to prove myself and uh, they gave me more and more work. But yeah, I was engaged in that project for over three years, I think, if, uh, back then, yeah, about three years. Yeah, that's excellent. You know, it, it, you, 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 your commentary is, is important. We, we talk so much about starting businesses and where to go. And, and um, so many people fail when they start a business, but they, they've, they fail sometimes because they can't make that first sell. How many entrepreneurs have I seen, and maybe have you seen through the years, that the first thing we want to talk about is how great their product is. And the relationship piece isn't there. And so, excuse the pun, but networking is very, very important right? In building your business. And, and, you know, this is a situation you could easily, if you didn't have a network of people, you could easily have failed and, and maybe ended up back in South Africa, Africa trying to figure out what was next. Yeah. Well, something if, uh, with hindsight, if I probably had to redo again, I would nurture those, that network. Cause I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of people over the years. And, uh, those same people have allowed me to be successful today. Uh, but there's definitely more I could have done with that network and spent and invested more time, uh, you know, building those relationships, uh, 
probably uh, something definitely I would recommend to anybody that's trying to make a name or do something for themselves. Uh, a very good friend of mine once told me, don't burn bridges. And I could never understand that. Uh, and, you know, being very aggressive in my approach on how I do things, I could sometimes rub people up the wrong way. And, uh, he, you know, this the lesson I learned was, you know, just get over it and move on. And uh, you'll never know when that same person's going to be of value to you later on in your life. And it's proved correct multiple times. Yeah, it's that no truer words have ever been said. Uh, we, we're already up on our first break. So um, stay tuned, everyone. We're going to be back with Kevin Torf in just a couple of minutes. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. We're back with Kevin Torf. So, Kevin, just before the break, we were talking about the importance of networking, and you were you were mentioning how you know if, if you could do it again, you would further nurture those those relationships. And and I, I realized, you know, when I think about my own history and leaving the corporate world when when I left Big Boy Restaurants, I, I remember one bit of advice I got because I was going in a whole different direction. I, I, I yeah, as I look back at it, I'm probably leveraging a lot of what I learned back then, but starting more of a consulting practice, getting out of the world. And somebody actually told me, well, you know, your friends and everything that you knew at Big Boy, you know, that's all great, but they're not going to be the people that will help you. It'll be the, the, the new relationships, the people who get to know you, the new network you create that will really drive you. Did you find that to be true, that it was, that it was new network as well? Or um, was it really the old friends? And have you stayed in touch with those people? 
You know, it's a combination. I don't. I wouldn't uh, really focus on any one group. Uh, my, you know, my goal was uh, n- not necessarily making friends, friends, uh, but it was doing a good job. Uh, you know, really being good at what I've what I've done. It doesn't matter what it is that was asked of me, whether it was a consulting, whether I was designing a, a, a product or helping a program, uh, really just deliver on results. And to me, that was what I focused on and that allowed the people that I did work with, uh, at least the people that have mattered to me later now down the road, uh, for the ones to respect uh, what I can do and what I've been able to do. Uh, those same people are right now are my clients in some cases and I've met some of them many years ago and they still uh, you know, ask us to help them and it's what allowed T2 Group to be as successful as it has. Uh, it was through those relationships. Our most of our sales still today come from uh, a relationship that led to another relationship that led to another relationship. Yeah, you know that 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 chain reaction is important. Is as I think about it, when when I got what I would describe as my first real client, it was people who saw the work that started asking for help. You know, people that were on the board of that company then brought me into other companies and et cetera. And people will ask me today, well, do you advertise? Do you market? You know, how do you get, how do you get client work? And honestly, yeah, I do some of those things. And, you know, I've got the radio show, obviously, and I've got some other things that are going on. But, but at the end of the day, it, it, it's all, it's, it's referral business. I mean, I, I think that for somebody who's in the consulting world, that's key. It definitely is. Uh, and, you know, I wasn't by intention or by planning, but I think I think that what differentiated me from some other people was I was able to get the job done, which is the name of the book that I created, uh, and I, the people that I had helped or facilitated in working with rep- respected that. Uh, you know, a lot of times some of these projects don't go as planned and there's always challenges you face when you execute on them Uh, but what I was trying to do and have always done back many years ago and still today was get the job done you know don't tell people about it. It's well, like my, what I told you from the very beginning of the interview. What my father taught me was, you know, you don't have to talk to, to prove who you are. Show people who you are. Get the job done. And, uh, you know, that's been my mantra all along and it still is today and I still hold by it and uh, that's what I focus on. Now, how you go about doing that and some of the tools that I use have adopted and have ad- changed and adapted uh, but they keep evolving, and uh, I look for different ways of being effective. So, you know, obviously lots of successes in your stories, but, but some of the best learnings come from the failures. Uh, what were some of the harder lessons that you learned in this? Uh, you know, I'd love to hear a story or two of, you know, the, the ones that didn't work out, the ones that crashed and burned. Maybe the person that's never going to recommend you after, after a job. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think we all have those somewhere in our life. I, I like to ignore them myself. But, um, you know, tell me about some of the, the, the tough lessons you had to learn. Well, I've I've always been in control, and I I always I've always believed I can probably do a better job than anybody else, uh, and because of that, uh, 
it, it, for, it, when I did engage and I started managing and running large projects, uh, it was all about control. It was about me owning uh, every aspect of what we were all doing. And there were many projects where the people that I was working with didn't quite appreciate it to the extent I did. Mm-hmm. I'd say those words kindly. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, we, we were on many late night evenings where we were moving a computer system or, or, or a long weekend uh, when a lot of the computer work used to be done many years ago, still today, but not nearly as much. And through my dedication to perfection and my approach on how I manage people, uh, upset people a little bit more than maybe what I could have or should have. And they walked out of me in the middle of a big project, you know, when we're about to turn the switch at two in the morning and there was no one else there but me uh, to clean up this mess that I created. And I realized there are other ways of doing things and you can be more effective. And this is what a lot of my approach now today is that it's more team driven. It's more collaborative. Uh, So definitely had some tough lessons about you know, being in control and some of the ramifications that can come with that versus working with people in a mannerism that uh, everybody participated and enjoyed what they were doing. Yeah, I, I think it's hard, especially for um, those of us who are more on the left brain side of things, you know, to find that that value in others, find the things that sometimes people think of as, as soft and squishy or touchy-feely or any of that kind of stuff. But you can't control everything. And, you know, more hands on a project, you know, it's, it's an old cliche, right? More hands make light work, right? Um, but it requires trust. I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're not going to just let somebody go if you don't trust them. Uh, when I say let somebody go, I mean, let somebody do the work on a, on a project. You're going to maintain control. What did it take for you to get to that point of starting to trust others? And what do you look for in people that you work with that will tell you, I can trust this person? It's been a challenge. Uh, the, the I don't. There's no silver bullet. I, I'm still learning, and it's I'm still adapting. I, I definitely focus now more on a person's character than I do their talent and their skills. Uh, I used to be uh, when I looked at a person or uh, or I wanted to work with a person, I was impressed by the person's knowledge uh, or skill, and. Uh, I was taken back by that and that gave me tunnel vision sometimes. And what I realized is you then start building processes around these people and that's the wrong approach. Uh, I've now appreciate a person's character more, their ability to collaborate, uh, how they engage uh, with you because that's a skill that you can't teach people to any great extent. You That person has it. So they, 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 it's, how, it's how they grew up. It's how they were parented, how they were schooled. You know, I think that defines a lot of that. And so for me today, if I got to now make a decision between judging between who I want on my team and who I don't, uh, I've, you know, we always need skills, but I can teach you skills as well. Uh, I'd rather take character in somebody that's willing to be committed and work together for one single common cause. Yeah, it, it, it's so incredibly important. I mean, one of the things we always push is the uh, the idea of 
core values, which are the basis of character. So, you know, we all have core values. We all have many, many values, but those three to five that are, that are, you know, uh, non-negotiables, right? The things that, that will, that will determine whether our relationships with others are important. And, and I've often said, there's no such thing as a, as good or bad core values. They just are. What there is, is good or bad fit. And so, you know, as you describe character, those, that's kind of what's coming to my mind is, is, is finding people who have an aligned set of values to your values system, which, which, you know, you, you would read naturally as, well, that's a person of good character, you know, and, and that's what we do at a subconscious level. Uh, I'm kind of curious because I, I love these conversations with people. What are the aspects of character or values? What's important to you? What are you looking for? What are the things that say, this is a great person to, that, to work with? So I'm looking for people that understand and can work with this to a single objective, even if they don't agree necessarily with every aspect of it, uh, that they are there for the team and they're there to uh, be treated as a team. They're not looking to necessarily be the one that's going to stand out and it's about them or it's, a, and uh, you know, the, the whole I, uh, aspect of team you know where does that fall uh you want people that are going to work together that are united it doesn't actually have to be a consensus you know people actually think having a team is a democracy all a democracy means is giving everyone in the team the equal opportunity to speak Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean to say you're all going to agree (laughs) you don't agree uh you know and but the point is whatever you ultimately decide you all agree that you're going to do your best to actually make that the reality and work towards that, that, that final goal. And, and that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. Uh, when people don't necessarily agree with what you're intending, uh, they hold back or they don't give you their best or they keep judging what you're doing. Uh, and uh, I try to look for traits in a person that uh, I could, I can find that core value, as you say. Yeah, that that's excellent. I mean, because it, it is, it's the basis of accountability. It's the basis of so many other things. And you know, your your point is real, well, you know, spoken that we don't need to all agree, but we do need to all be committed. And you don't get to a point of commitment unless people are engaging. You know, Patrick Lencioni says in the five dysfunctions of a team, he basically says you have to have trust in order to engage in conflict. And you have to be able to engage in conflict in order to get to commitment, which gets you kind of accountability and results, right? If you think in terms of of the five dysfunctions. And, um, you know, those things don't happen, I don't believe, unless there's some level of core values alignment. You know, we never get really to the trust in conflict piece, we don't listen to each other if, if that alignment's not there. And in the long run, you know, you might have people who are not committed. When you don't have commitment, things really just fall apart. So it's, it, I think the points are well put. But I also find that this isn't just for the people you work with. This can be true of clients. You know, when you think about your, your, your values, you know, the, the character that you look for, have you ever walked away from a potential client? I'm not talking about walk away, walking away you know, in the gig, if something's wrong, but, but, you know, are you at a stage like where if you don't feel like you've got a good fit, you walk away from them, or do you just look at the projects and and you go from there? 
No, we we look uh, to make sure that the, the project's right for the company, the company, the organization's right for the company. Uh, we have walked away from opportunities. Uh, um, just recently walked away from a really big opportunity uh, with a, com- a company that uh, I was partnered with and uh, we believed that uh, the partnership was just not in everybody's interest uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, but the biggest reason was that we probably couldn't align on that single objective. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody had a different opinion of how to get there. And I didn't feel that it was ultimately going to uh, everyone was going to work with 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 the intent of saying, "All right, there's going to have to be a compromise, but let's all work on making that happen." Because without that, we're not going to be successful, and that's a, a, a very significant part of you know something that you also need to look for. And it, I didn't have it, and uh, for that reason, I decided to choose a different route. Uh, it's it's important. I, I think for people, especially entrepreneurs that are starting up, but but even some don't 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 learn this. I don't think well enough within the work itself. Not every client, not every customer, not every partner is going to be a good fit for you. And sometimes, again, I'll see companies and people that I work with. You know, they get so enamored by the work and they forget that other piece, and that can affect the quality of your work. Also, to me, there's no client that's worth me going out and ending up with a bad reputation because of a bad a bad job done you know if i if i can't if i can't get it done if i can't help them and um i think it's i think it's very very important to make sure that you've got a good fit not just with the people you work with but the people you work for no, very much so. And it's probably one of the harder things to do in life, especially in business, when you uh, is to say no to anybody. <laughs> you you want the opportunity, you want the business, and uh, uh, sometimes no is the best answer. But just you know, getting that chemistry, uh, everything that I've learned uh, that can lead itself towards that can bring so much more power to what you want and how much you want to accomplish. And I look for sport metaphors often. In my book, I write about the Leicester Club. Uh, Leicester's a Premier League club in England, and they came up from the multiple divisions, so they were very much an underdog when they reached the Premier League. Uh, just to give you a discrepancy of value, they probably valued the team at about £40 million compared to Man United, Man City, which is about £400 million. Pounds. Sure. There wasn't a single superstar on Leicester City. Uh, There was not a single player that was of any notoriety. And they won the Premier League. It was the first time in history that it was done. It was done about three, four years ago. Uh, And that was done purely through collaboration. And it was done through teamwork. And it was done through one objective, that we're going to win together. And everybody relied on everybody in order to accomplish that. And they achieved great things. Yeah, that's absolutely the requirement. I think great, great story, great example. Um, We're at the end of our second segment already, so we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back, and um, I'd like to dive deeper into the book when we come back. So stay tuned, everyone. We've got some some great conversation coming up on um, Kevin's book. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. 
True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Kevin Torres. So, Kevin, just before we went to the break, you know, we were starting to get into the book. And um, the book is uh, Getting the Job Done. Um, I got that right, right? So, um, it's Getting the Job Done. Probably the most important aspect of getting a job is is getting it done. Otherwise, what good is it? Uh, let's let's dive in a little bit. You know, t- tell our listen. Let's start at the beginning. What's the book about? The book started uh, as a way for me to write out some of the uh, project management guidelines that the company and myself practiced, and. You know, in how to reflect on a project afterwards, how to plan, uh, not over plan, how to document uh, projects, not over document, trying to find that balance uh, of, uh, of different ways we had approached how we've done business, how we even behave as people. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, I call project management sometimes uh, the same as life. You, you know, we're always planning in life as well. And there's very little distinction between the two. So with that said, uh, we, 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 we evolved this book and, uh, and I wrote these notes and I tried to find a way to simplify this because I didn't want it to become this hard to read academic book. So we made each bit of uh, information that we had uh, accumulated into tips and each tip could stand on its own. And the tips were, you know, how to do project triage or, you know, how to plan for Murphy's Law. Uh, and we started coming up with all these different uh, aspects of what happens in real life. And then to try and make it a little bit even more palatable, to find something in history that I could reflect against uh, moments uh, in, in time when 
in NASA, the prior when they when they failed on their massive launch of one of their Mars Mars lunar modules, and the reason that they were a couple of decimal points out, and that was all because of bad communication. That one team didn't communicate with another team, and the consequences of that were tens and hundreds of millions of dollars of damage. So I like to try find something in history, and then say, all right, well, how as a project manager could we now do things differently, and bring that down to some practical advice. Excellent, excellent. So you sparked something that made me think for a minute, but you taught, you said Murphy's Law. So I want to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. How do you avoid or handle Murphy's Law? <laughs> well, you've got to anticipate. Uh, you know, the, the probability of that something will go wrong is, uh, is in technology, definitely, and in life as well, is probable. Uh, and maybe sometimes even more, more than likely. So what are you doing to anticipate that? And how do you plan accordingly? You know, uh, and that's it's, it's challenge because in the definition of agile planning, you're meant to be a little bit more nimble and pivot when you need to versus getting into these very detailed analytics of, of planning. But if you know you're going to have to quickly adapt all the time, uh, what's that balance and how do you go about doing it? And, uh, you know, in, in order to do that, you need to keep what I call your iterations or your planning relatively short. Keep it uh, as simple as you can. Don't try and make, don't overcommit to these long term obligations, uh, reflect consistently as you evolve. And even then, when unfortunately you do get hit with Murphy's law, or things don't go quite as well, as well, yeah, you know, it's not, the consequence is not going to be that significant because you'll pivot and you will adapt. Yeah. There's history shows us a lot. And you know, one of the, the stories I really enjoyed and Jim Collins is, I think it was great by choice. He talks about the race to the South pole and the team that made it versus the team that didn't. And, you know, he talks about the fact that the, the team that didn't really just looked at the goal of getting to the South Pole and getting back, and they just did whatever they could each day, and they didn't plan things through, and and their journey took so long that ultimately they failed. They, they all died out there. But the team that made it um, just said, every single day we're going 20 miles. Every single day we're going 20 miles. If, if the weather's horrible, we're going 20 miles. If the weather's beautiful, we're going 20 miles. Think about that. You can plan all the way through. You can flex, et cetera. And I think that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of examples of this in real life that we, we always look to the end, but we don't look in the shorter bite-sized chunks. And, and to me, it seems like basic project management, but, but you said it a minute ago so spot on that we take this in too big of a chunk and then we're not prepared for the little bump. I had to laugh. I was with a, a client um, just a few months ago and they were talking about the implementation of a new ERP system they're putting in. And, and the, clearly the salesperson had given them a very aggressive timeline. Um, I think it, it, it's not uncommon in the industry that, you know, you give that, that in the sales process, they hear the perfect case scenario. You know, if there's no modifications, no, um, no adjustments to be made. No. And, and, oh, you know, we'll get this thing up and running in six months. And I said to the client, I said, look, I said, I, I love this, but, but you need to plan differently for this, right? I've never seen an implementation like this be either on time or on budget. Oh, no, 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 no. This is going to be just fine. This is, and lo and behold, they're already behind they're already behind budget. They're it's it's just it's it's Murphy's law. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. 
And you know, we 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 unfortunately don't plan accordingly. But you, you're right. You you know, you got the the, two, the different ways to go about this, uh, and. The, probably the one that I've practiced and had the most success with is the one that you just articulated. Try not necessarily focus too much on the bigger picture. Uh, focus on getting those very short-term real results where you can define what you want. You more than likely or be more probable to get to that stage and then incrementally grow as you move forward. Uh, you know, I love to tell people the further out you think, the more likely you're going to be wrong. And I say wrong because it's you, to some level you're going to be wrong anyway. Now, the more, the further out I'm thinking, the more likely I'm going to be even more wrong. <laughs> so you've got to get used to really being able to trust, simplify, and make your thoughts much more quantifiable. Excellent. And so in your book, one of the things you do is you, you, you lay out what you, what you call the projects framework, you know, and it's, it's literally the word project spelled out. I wonder if you'd go through that a little bit with our listeners. We've touched on some of it, but. Yeah. So the book was, uh, that, that title everyone's asked me, did it, was that planned? It wasn't planned. Uh, what happened was as these tips were evolving, uh, I was pivoting <laughs> and I was reflecting and one of the other requirements was to organize this book into had scattered thoughts into something more structured. So I thought, well, let me group these tips by maybe the message they deliver. And some of the messages, because they were all project management related, were planning. And some were, you know, how to empower a team, how to make a team, give the team the ability to be effective. Uh, how to communicate, how to, you know, talk to people when you need to talk to people. And slowly and surely, I was, by luck maybe, or uh, I was starting to form these categories and most of the letters made up the word project. And, uh, you know, we did a little bit of tweaking at the end, uh, like juggling. You know, there was a tweak because we had to find the word, the, a, a category for J, which, you know, really was about multitasking and everybody multitasks and tries to do a hundred things at once. And well, that was great. So we used the word juggling and that's how we actually evolved and how the book uh, was grouped into these different categories. I love it. And so for the listeners, the, the, the categories are, you know, starting with B is, is planning, uh, reflection, organization, juggling. I, I love that one. Empowerment, communication, teamwork, and standards. Uh, you know, all, all super, you know, uh, super important and equally important, wouldn't you say? So, so the book isn't necessarily a, 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 a 10 step action list on how to do project planning. There's been a thousand books, but this is more, I would describe it as practical advice on the, the why and the how to do a lot of these things. And, and, and that's uh, what the, what my intention was, is to make this a light read uh, where one could just read one or two tips and never read the book at all. Uh, if one did read the book, uh, there's a little bit of a structure to it as it evolves through these different steps. I also try and compare each category into a real life situation that I had with a customer in how I use some of those tips to solve a problem or achieve an objective. Uh, but each, uh, the, the whole way the book was designed was you could read just a single tip, you could read a section, 
yeah. uh, and get full value from it, or you could read the whole book. Well, you know, in today's world, and thanks somewhat to technology, right, uh, you know, things move so incredibly fast, and there's so many things that we have to do. It's sometimes hard to keep organized. The other thing is, is every single one of us, we all do projects. Whether you use that term or not, we all do projects. It could be as simple as, you know, um, my wife and I this week, we were, we were out trying to figure out furniture for one of the rooms. We've moved into a new house and it's a project. It's a project. Or we can think in terms of an IT implementation or any one of the thousand types of things. We all do projects every single day and some practical advice is there. What I love is, you know, I fall probably in that category of, of leaders that, that many of us are ADD to some degree some of it because of all the things going on and, and lack of time. The fact that, that, that these are, you know, a, a multitude of pointers and two and three page chapters. And it, it's, it is really kind of quick and quick access. Love that structure. No, and, and it's, you're, you're right in the fact of how they can relate to your everyday activities. Uh, you know, I look at it from sport. Uh, I think I use one example about chess. I love chess because it's such a great example of so many aspects of project management. Uh, every move you make is generally going to have a consequence. So that's the reality of life. When you do something, usually there's a consequence whether you anticipated it or not, whether you plan for it or not. Uh, also, chess, people think, well, I have to plan every move. Uh, yes, but the very good players uh, do less planning but become more conscious and aware of everything around them. Well, being aware of your surroundings and being able to make decisions relating to that, another good aspect of project management. And then the most important part of, of chess is you don't know what the other player is going to do. And you have to react to every move they make. And that requires you to then adapt and change because you might have a plan, but that's plan could go awry based on what your opponent's now done. So there's a great example of just a, a, a game and life and project management and how you can correlate them all together. Well, the adaptability and you used the term agile before, which is now a, a well, it's not new so much anymore, but it, it came on the, the scene in, you know, a few years back, which was a way of thinking. And, you know, the, the term I'll often use is it's more about dynamic planning than it is about strategic planning. Look, you know, having a long-term strategy, a long-term goal, that's great. We all need to have that, that, that end game in sight. But what happens when the currents of the day take you off track, right? You have to be flexible and you have to be willing to be dynamic and shift with the needs in order to accomplish those. You know, otherwise you won't, you won't get there. I sometimes will share the, the story. I say, if I put you on a sailboat in Miami and told you that Barbados was, you know, a hundred and, um, you know, 170 degrees on the compass, if you stick that compass and you just follow that 170 degrees, what's the likelihood you're going to hit that little island? It's next to zero because <laughs> currents, winds, storms, other islands get in the way. You have to be dynamic. You have to be willing to change and, and adjust and adapt. No, and there's a whole section in the book on reflection, uh, and it's a very, very important element of every aspect of project management, uh, having that ability to go back and reevaluate what you had intended and then to make adjustments accordingly and to do them in an iterative way and do it in a positive way. Yeah. A lot of people reflect uh, in, in using a, a very – 
destructive approaches. I mean, just the word postmortem. I don't like that word yeah. as a word yeah. because you're starting off with a negative connotation before you even start. Reflection doesn't have to be negative. It, it could be just realigning where you are. It's not just about all the things that went wrong and what we could do better, but it's, it's highlighting what went right and how we can replicate it. Oh, definitely. And yeah. again, you know, you, you just you mentioned it, I think, before. Is it necessarily wrong or right, or was it just the consequences of what took place? You know, I, I understand that. I understand that the result wasn't what you ultimately wanted, or some things have changed now that have impacted what you ultimately intended. Uh, make that adjustment, and now go through the next iterative step and see if, if uh, what you've now changed or done is going to now give you a better result. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I hate that our time's up already. I mean, it goes so incredibly fast. My listeners have heard me say this so many times, you know, it's, it's, it's been a fun, great conversation. I appreciate your being with here, but before we go, I want to take a few seconds and talk about how, how our listeners can find the book and if they want to find you. So the, the book is getting the job done. It's Kevin Torf, T O R F and um, available on Amazon, I assume. Yes, it's in all the bookstores and Barnes and Noble, Amazon. I think we have an audio version coming out as well. So uh, it's in both paperback, hardcover, and uh, electronic. Excellent. So there's lots of ways to get it. Uh, is there a particular website? If somebody wanted to find you or send you a note, what's the best way for them to do that? Yes, uh, we have our web portal, the T2 Group, T2 t2group.us uh, that will lead you to the different companies and they will they'll lead you to one of our pages which is projects at t2group.us uh, in addition to that uh, we have our LinkedIn page up which is uh, I got my personal profile there Kevin Torf uh, and then we have the company profile uh, please if any of your listeners want to share a thought or give, give me any comments related to the book if, if they read it I uh, very much appreciate it uh, would love to learn about how other people perceive the book and uh, if there's any if they if they find it of any value so really uh, would like for people to reach out and I'm very good with actually responding. Excellent. Excellent. So again, folks, it's, it's the letter T, the number two group. G R O U P dot U S dot U S. I'm going to emphasize dot U S it's not dot com. We, we have a habit of going dot com very quickly. It's dot U S. So uh, Kevin, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Chris, and thanks uh, to all the effort and uh, your shows and everything you've contributed here as well. Thank you. Well, thank you. And uh, to, to all of you out there listening, um, you know, stay tuned. We've got another great interview coming up next week. And until then, I hope you guys have a great, great week. Take care. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.